Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here, of course, with Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, this is our first podcast of 2016, so it's probably only right that we start with some New Year's resolutions, uh, some of which you recently wrote up in a piece for PJ Media. You call them politically incorrect New Year's resolutions, advice for how the postmodern do-gooders can police themselves. So let's just take these one at a time. The first one regards government regulation of an extraordinarily dangerous product, the iPhone. It's beyond time the state steps in here, Victor. Why is that? Well, you know, I, I, I had one day last week where I almost hit a, a person who walked right into my car in a crosswalk. And then I had a young woman who almost ran me from the back. And then I saw another car weaving. And each time they were texting, I thought, it's a liberal shibboleth that a, a manufacturer or a production entity is responsible for the misuse of their product if the product gives you that much lethal leeway. So I thought, why does Silicon Valley get exempt from this when they could obviously put in some kind of app that would shut it off when it was in motion? So you could only use your iPhone when you're stationary, not walking, not riding a bike, not in a car. I was being facetious, but it's again, I'm very interested in this topic of the wars between progressive uh, currents, in other words, multiculturalism versus feminism. In this case, uh, the power of the state versus the liberal image of the techie, the progressive uh, world, world-saving techie versus the use of big government to save us all, and they're in conflict here. And all of these points throughout this list sort of play on the, that same theme, the idea yeah. of these tensions. Uh, the next one, a health issue, a pandemic actually, and one that's acutely felt in your community in California. Victor, if public officials are concerned about keeping us healthy – the scourge that they ought to be confronting is? Well, it's Latino epidemic of obesity and specifically leading to an avoidable, avoidable but nevertheless very dangerous type 2 diabetes. And we're, we are in the Central Valley. I'm, you can go to any little town and you'll see a federal or state dialysis clinic. It's very tragic. So when we talk about the Latino vote or Latino this or Latino that, what we're not talking about is that we have an a, a epidemic of obesity in general in California, but when you have one out of three or maybe even about one out of three actually of all people who are admitted to a hospital for any reason whatsoever in California and they turn out upon examination or testing to have type 2 diabetes, then you've got to ask yourself what's What's the social cost? What's the dangers of this? And, and 45 to 48% of Latinos are classified as overweight. And it's unfortunately not because of the American diet, as we're told, that indigenous peoples come up from Oaxaca, Mexico, because in the latest UN international ranking of obesity, Mexico turned out to be by far the most obese country in the world. 71% of the population was classified as overweight. So we've got a real big problem, a, a health issue, just as we did with the AIDS epidemic, but nobody for obvious reasons is talking about it. The third trend that you flag is a commercial one that you refer to as cyberia. I feel like there's no intro I can do here that's going to have more of an impact than that term. Explain what cyberia is. Well, you know, I, I've been using a computer for 30 years. I don't claim to be uh, have computer skills, but I get on sometimes and these things flash on 
And if I'm doing two or three websites at once, I get these uh, videos, I get these soundtracks, I get these pop-ups. And it's much more annoying and much more bothersome than anything that I remember as a child in the so-called infamous days of, you know, cigarettes and detergent uh, interrupting your classic variety shows. So this generation, I thought, was sort of a global progressive generation that was, you know, not so self-interested. But it's the most crass uh, form of advertising I've ever seen. And nobody seems to be talking about it, what they've done to the Internet. And when you put in... The sophistication of an IP address, if I go order something on Amazon or if I buy something from a website, it seems that I'll buy snow, sh- uh, snow gloves and the next day I got snow pants all over my, my computer screen. Or I'll buy a, a chainsaw and for the next week I get chainsaw sharpening kits, chainsaw oil, chainsaw everything that suddenly somebody knows what I bought and they know my IP address and suddenly – it's really big brother like and it it really trumps anything out of the 1950s the fourth issue that you raise here it touches on issues of race victor it's an imperative you explain in this piece that we do away with white as a racial characterization where where have we gone wrong there well i've noticed that we don't say african-american we just say black now and we just say latino we don't say latino american and i think that People have used this term white and has no meaning. I mean, is Ted Cruz white uh, or is he Latino? And is somebody from Greece, all my friends from Greece or from Armenia uh, in Fresno are much darker than Ted Cruz. So first of all, it's inexact. And second, why do Latinos get to be lumped together, whether they're Cuban or Argentina or a wealthy Spanish aristocrat or a Portuguese businessman? Why, Why are you all Latino? And if that's true, then let's just go back to French, Swedish, Scottish, and let's sort of uh, ethnicize our names. So if I were to be called, for example, Axel Bjorn Hansen, I might have a cliche <laughs> that would do me some value in, in careerist terms. I think that Barry Dunham wouldn't have been where he is if he hadn't have gone back to his birth name, Barack Hussein Obama, and the way that poor George Zimmerman Sounded like an SS trooper. If he had just used his mother's last name and Hispanicized his first, Jorge Mesa would have been a Mesa would have been a very good. I mean, you wouldn't, you and I wouldn't be talking ever about Jorge Mesa getting in a fatal confrontation with Trevon Martin. George Zimmerman, yes, that that forced the New York Times to create that term, white Hispanic. So. I just think the whole nomenclature race is such a, is, is so complex now and irrelevant. But if we're going to make it the centrality of the American experience, and white people should just say, "I'm not white. I resent that term. I'm Scottish, Polish," and then make the necessary uh, nomenclature adjustments. The final one on your list. We all learned in 2015 the word, the phrase, rather, cultural appropriation. This is sort of the latest college campus grievous, in, in which it's a a cardinal sin for a, a white guy to make Chinese food or for a Hispanic woman to do yoga. It's considered somehow extractive or exploitive to partake in anything that originated from a culture other than your own. You want to flip that on its head, though. You say it's time for cultural disassociation explain that yes what i meant by that was it can't be one way so who were the people who gave us vaccinations who were the people who gave us antibiotics who were the people who gave us sophisticated brain surgery that's part of the 
European tradition. It would be saying, we don't say to somebody, well, you're Hispanic or you're African-American and quote-unquote your ancestors were not part of this scientific or cultural tradition. Therefore, you don't get a vaccination or you have no business taking strep, you know, strep medicine. So that's number one. And then number two, of course, if you and I had been talking in 1500 and we hadn't introduced non-European habits, products, uh, flora and fauna, fauna to the Amer- European experience, and we, we, it would be a very different life. So right now, we wouldn't have coffee, which is, some people think is dangerous. We wouldn't have tea. Caffeine wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't have tobacco. We wouldn't have cocaine. We wouldn't have peanut allergies. We wouldn't have potato, fattening foods like potatoes. I'm being facetious again, but you can see that uh, whether it's syphilis or whether it's cocaine, there's mental or chocolate or sugar. All of these things were not known to the Greeks and Romans to take one example. So when I read classical literature, when I think of sweets, I think of honey, not sugar. And when I think of uh, foods that are dangerous, I don't think of uh, tomatoes killing people like some allergies did when they or peanuts. And they were considered poison to some Europeans when they first encountered peanuts, for example, because it made a few people very ill. But the point is that if we go back and we try to, to survey a 360 degrees around our personas and say this, 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 we inhabit every day, and this is bad because it's European and this is indigenous, that's something you don't really want to do because more or less the European world is given us more good than not, and the other traditions whether you like it or not, have not led to the same quality of lifestyle, at least as immigration might suggest, the direction of immigration from non-West to West. So, Victor, when you're looking at all these cross-currents, all these tensions within modern progressivism, do you have a sense of which of these do you see sort of pulling apart the quickest? Where where is liberalism sort of the most vulnerable to these kind of internal contradictions? Well, I think if you look at radical gay rights or radical feminism or radical environmentalism, uh, multiculturalism is the one that seems to be the most antithetical to all of them because whether they're women being raped as we speak right now on the streets of Cologne over New Year's Eve, uh, people were afraid to talk about that because of multiculturalism. Or when you have one out of, I said, three to four people suffering diabetes uh, and that's a health issue. And the liberal agenda says, you know, we can come into your life and say you can't have a big coke. That's not going to do it because you're going to endanger the health of the entire body politic by consuming too much resources. But if that butts against up, butts up against multiculturalism, then multiculturalism seems to win. So I think that's the biggest uh, paradox for liberalism today. All of their agendas uh, are pursued without nuance except when they come into the multicultural agenda and then bam whether it's radical islam or as i said whether it's uh, non-western treatment of women or iranians stoning gays or uh, obesity in the third world then you cannot talk about that and i think that's something that the left is really embarrassed about and there's no there's no way to square that circle all right, final point. This is all obviously a lot of these points that you made in the piece were sort of tongue in cheek, but the satire obviously derives from these very real examples that we have of this sort of brittle eggshell society that we seem to live in now, where there's no greater sin than giving offense, whether you intended to or not. 
Do you, as a result of that, despair that we as Americans are, are becoming in some fundamental way unserious or is this strictly sort of the province of elite culture? Is this just college campuses and newsrooms that are really doing the hand-wringing over this? Well, it starts in college newsrooms and it starts with uh, elites in the media, foundations, politics, but it filters down. So uh, if I talk to a farmer and he, I look over to his shed, he has a whole wall of federal guidelines on sexual harassment that have nothing to do with his daily life, but he has to put them up there. I just filled out a five-page form on environmentalism about uh, watershed, even though my little farm of 40 acres has nothing to do with rivers or anything. So it filters down to everybody, and that's worrisome. The other thing is that it's not heroic. It's not muscular. So we're a country where we used to think you know, people who flew over Schweinfurt, Germany in a B-17 had it rough. But when we make – we're making an, us into a nation of, you know, victims of microaggressions and nanoaggressions, and it's not good for our soul. And I'm, I'm worried about that. that. That's really important that if we're all hypersensitive and we're all going to be victims, then we have no means to calibrate real danger or real heroism. And we've just become sort of a – a slothful, irrelevant, hypersensitive, neurotic society. I think everybody's is, is terribly worried about that. I know that I am. And uh, finally, it's it creates an over it creates an overreaction, so that you're so sick of it. And I, I, we can just go back to 1984. It just inundates you with this political correct Big Brotherism. That when somebody like Donald Trump comes along. And he can say whatever he wants. So we really don't care about the content. What we like is the method and the means of delivery because he's against it. And he can say outrageous things. And we're saying, you know what? Donald Trump, Trump is the rock that we can throw into your TV screen and watch it blow up. And, and that's not necessarily always good because uh, Trump is it, – it's very dangerous in the 1920s in Germany and Italy – we had the Roaring Twenties. We had the Weimar culture. We had the um, destruction of uh, tradition in Berlin. And the reaction to that uh, was not good. And that's what I'm worried about. I think the reaction is going to get – everybody is sick of political correctness and this weepy little culture that we've created of victims. And it just takes one or two brilliant manipulators like Trump, and he's very brilliant. And everything he says – People tune out. The way he says it, they tune in. All right. That's all the time that we have for today. Join us next week for the next installment of the Classicist Podcast. And in the meantime, stop by hoover.org where you can read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.